Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night here. Although he's uh, not here yet, we have extend we'd like to extend a happy birthday to Ronan. Like to shout out another happy birthday to Menachem Mendel. Ben Rachel, Shavari Chesam, they both have a Rechesam, Vishanim, Langi Gesundte Felech Yorn. All the Brachis of Yom Redes, all the Hashpoas of Yom, the continuations, the impressions of Yom Redes should affect them and should come down and shine down upon them. Tess L is also a yard site <coughs> of the uh, Mechol. Ben Zalkin. The Mechol Belina, the Enekel of Mechol, the Alter. And we've had occasion to have a shir on his yard site prior. Always spoken about him, about his family, about his lineage, his heritage, etc. So, like to say tonight, Lachaim, Ibn Misha, you should look after your son, Yusha, and your wife, Lena. They should have Arichas Yom, Vishanam, Langi, Gazantiyaran, they should have happy years, long years, healthy years. Reb Misha was an interesting fellow, to say the least. A very interesting life he led. The birthday boy did arrive. We already mentioned. Sorry, mention of the birthday boy was already. Okay. The birthday cake is in the middle of the table. Sorry? He's coming. A man that survived communism, overcame trials and tribulations of communist Russia. Persecution, get a knife. And apropos that generally his yard comes out, Pashas Kiseitse, of Kiseitse, La Mokoma, Livecho, one goes out to war with his enemy. Rashi tells us. What war are we talking about here? There were many different battles, different types of battles, different types of wars that the Jews faced. Rashi tells us this is talking about Mohammed's Rishus. It was not a battle to conquer when they were taking over the land, but rather a Mohammed's Rishus, a war, a battle that they had to clear up certain air but not necessarily to conquer the lands they were living in. Just leave everything there. Stop bothering me. It's good to be listened to. Chassidus explains at length, need a knife for the cake. Kiseitze la Muhammad goes upon, talks about the Muhammad. The war, the battle between the Sahara and the Yitzhah When is the most profound time 
that the Yitzhahara and Yitzhahara battle, that is during davening. We sit down to daven. And along comes Yitzhahara. some unknown reason the Sahara has zero tolerance for prayer it's difficult a difficult pill for him to swallow the Sahara does not like it when a Jew prays simply because during prayer, a person connects directly with his Creator. And since one is created, connecting to God directly, this is something the Sahara really has a very hard time, the evil inclination has a very hard time relating to. We can explain this perhaps, also the Mechama, the battle between the Sahara and the Yetzatev, fits into what Rashi explains here when Rashi says Nechemes Rishus HaKosav Medaber Many places in the Chassidus it is explained <coughs> there are two ways two approaches To elevate and to conquer the Yitzhahara. And there are the simple ways that approach, the same approach that works with everything else as well. And they are either through war or through peace. It's a parve cake, it's a homemade parve cake, yes. It's a mezainus. It's not an ice cream cake. During the Aveda of Tefillah, which is Shas Kreva, a time where a person gets very close to God, the nullifying, the putting down, and the destroying of the Yitzhahara, needs to be done through Muhammad, through battle. However, Masha'en came, when one sits down to learn Torah, someone sits down to study Torah, the Pasuk says, Its ways are the ways of peace, of calm, tranquility. And therefore, it brings to all those that delve into it, peace. So through learning Teda, one can bring down and can elevate and can illuminate and reveal godliness in his soul. When this godliness reveals itself, Automatically, the Yitzhahara cowers off into a corner because he can't deal with this revelation. And therefore, there's no battle needed. The Yitzhahara automatically falls into place. We ask sometimes, though, in that case, what is my problem sitting and studying? Why do I find it so hard to sit and to study Torah? If the Torah automatically puts the Yitzhahara in its place, the Yitzhahara should automatically fade out, get off my case, as we say in America, and Mimela, I could learn in peace and tranquility. Why the problem? Why the issues? We have Ronen's cake here, thanks to Nechamadina, a homemade specialty cake.
in the right time. She's only you know, a little girl. But I thought in the middle of her being in the Very good. Mechaim, Mechaim. Therefore, when we say that the elevating of the Yitzhahara is a Melchemes Rishos, the entire realm of this war, of this battle, is a concept of Rishos. It's a different approach how to approach the Yitzhahara without battling in a form of Menucha, which is through the Aveda of Terah. So this Melchemes Rishus that we're talking about, we don't need to go actually and fight and to battle. Although the Torah continues and tells us of the different announcements and the different disqualifications, if a person didn't meet the qualification actually, then ultimately they self-disqualify, they went home on their own. Because they didn't meet the criteria of a soldier, but the criteria that they looked at was a totally different approach. Rather than being the approach of an actual soldier, his able-bodiedness of actually being able to go out and to hold a weapon and to carry a weapon and his masterly battling confrontational skills and strategic knowledge Rather than that, the questions that they were asked, the questions that were poised, if a person had just gotten married, if a person had just purchased a home, a vineyard, they were told to stay home. This in itself is a pure lesson of Avis Israel, love of a fellow Jew. The Kayan stood up and made announcements. One announcement on top of another, on top of another. For what? For the person that God forbid was a sinner and knew he might die at war. He was scared now. He had to face the music, he had to come here. But he didn't want to go to battle because if he had the sin on him, he might be killed. The solution therefore was to turn around and go home, not to come to battle. But to walk away, everybody will know that he did sins, and he'd be embarrassed and humiliated in front of everyone. So the solution was that the Kayan made announcements of all different types of excuses. So when a person got up and left, when a person left the battlefield, went home, we didn't know why he left. Nobody asked. Kitsese in itself has many, many different laws of a total different abstract line. Although it does go into the marriage, how one must marry, how one must look after a wife, to care and to cherish. And the Torah goes into what happens if, God forbid, there is a problem between a husband and a wife. And of course, the Torah has the ultimate solution of 12 lines because of the Sefer Christus. One of the hardest documents to procure. I told that story already a dozen times of the fellow in the army that on every spare moment that he had that he wasn't training, he walked around picking up papers. He wasn't OCD. He wasn't looking to clean up. He picked up the paper, he'd read it, he'd curse at it and throw it on the floor. Every spare moment he had, this is what he would do. It was brought to the attention of his superiors and they started to monitor him.
finally, he determined he's Mishigah. And he's not fit. So they decided they're going to discharge him. No. He gets called in never to the general. And um, the general tells him, I'm sorry, my friend, you're Meshigah. You're not fit to serve in the army. The man stood there, didn't blink, didn't flinch. The general takes out the discharge paper, the pink slip, and he hands it to this dishonored soldier. And the fellow takes the paper, like his did his custom always, when he takes the paper, and he starts to read it. He reads the paper, and he sees it says he's discharged, and he says, I found it! This has been the paper he's been looking for throughout the time in the army. So crazy like a fox. The paper, though, this 12-line paper, Kosovo Sefer Krisus. At the time of Tzamech Tzedek, there was a fellow that came to Tzamech Tzedek and he needed a shidduch for his daughter. So Tzedek said, fine. He looked at the daughter, he looked spiritually what the soul of the daughter looked like, and he called in a certain bachar from Yeshiva, and he said, this is your son-in-law. Well, the boy, the girl, they went home, they talked, they discussed, got engaged, got married. It was very lovely. But only a few years, and finally the girl decided she had enough. Whatever it is, she didn't like. She told her father she wants to get divorced. For Satan, what did the father do? The first thing he did, he ran to the Tzavotzedek. Tell the Tzavotzedek what happened. Tzavotzedek said, God forbid, this is her match, don't even think about it. Went back and he got therapists, he got this, he got that, he got people involved. He was a wealthy fellow. And um, they stayed together another few months. And again she came up, she wants to get the worst. So again he ran to the Tzermel Tzedek, and again the Tzermel Tzedek said, didn't I not tell you they're not to get the worst? This is a couple, they must stay together. Bo'ayim, she finally a few months later got fed up totally, and said, don't go to the Rebbe, don't go anywhere, I'm getting divorced. But she can ask for a get, right? She, of course she can ask for a get. It's her, it's her, yeah, of course, she wants to give up her exhibit. And she went and got divorced. No, a few years went by, and she married a widower. A man that never lost his wife, but had a few children of his own. So he was a content fellow. They were married for a few years, and she was not blessed with a child. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Before she got divorced, she told her father not to go to the Rebbe. Because the, she said the Rebbe is not some governor general over here to the, say who should do and who should not do. That was her expression. Anyway, years went by and she was not blessed with a child. And she sent her husband, the husband was going to the Rebbe, for a visit. As he was going to the Tzamatzedek, she told him, you're there already discussing other things. Ask the Rebbe for a bracha. Give him my name. Ask him for a blessing for a child for me. She 
she got to the he, he fellow got to the Rebbe and he spent his time in Yechidus the private audience at the end he mentioned his wife she asked for a blessing for a child she should bear a child the Rebbe looked at him and said what does she think I'm a governor general here I could just make people bless people with children the man had no idea what the Rebbe was talking about but the man went home and told his wife what the Rebbe answered and she never understood very well what the Rebbe answered the Rebbe said he's not the governor general all the time or none of the time and when the Rebbe said that she, she stayed married to this one particular person the Rebbe saw that's where she would get children and from this couple she could not, the Rebbe could not bless her as such The Torah then goes into sequences. This week's Pasha we see two sequences, a positive and a negative sequence. The Mishnah tells us in Pirkeyavis, Mitzvah Goyreres, Mitzvah Aveda Goyreres Aveda. A Mitzvah brings about another Mitzvah, and a sin brings about, Rachman al-Atzlan, another sin. The opening point of the Pasha, the Torah tells us, the man goes out to war, and he finds, let us explain first what happened here when they went out to battle, the nations knew that the Jews' weakness could be found if you affected their spirituality. If you affected a Jew spiritually, for example, Dovra Melech knew that he was to die on Shabbos. He knew that was his, he saw it in his stars or wherever he saw it. So he would do his, on Shabbos he would sit and learn Teda the entire time. As long as he was learning Teda, the, the Sultan could not, the Malchamovas could not get to him. The angel of death could not touch him. And he would learn Teda, but not like some of us learn Teda, where we, five minutes, little learning, and then texting somebody, another ten minutes of learning, and then making a phone call, another five minutes, fifteen minutes of learning, and then having a conversation with somebody. We meant learning, learning means full-fledged learning. He would learn from when Shabbos came in, till Shabbos went out. He would sit diligently by the book, and not allowed himself to be disturbed, barring prayer. The Sultan, the Malachamavah, saw he could not get to, to Dabra Melech. So he needed to do something to get distract his learning. There, obviously the Midrashim come across a little differently each time. Ultimately, the Malachamavah made a very loud noise out in the yard, in the garden of David. And as David went out to see and was continuing to repeat words of Teda, but went out to see what was going on outside, the Malachamavis took away his stairs. So the stairs were missing, and David was not concentrating, because he was learning, he fell. And as he fell, he hurt himself when he hit the ground. That moment that he hurt himself, he stopped to learn, and the Malachamavis took his soul. We see, therefore, the study of Teda protects a person. What the non-Jews knew about this very, very same phenomenon, and they knew as long as the Jews were praying or learning and doing mitzvahs, they were indestructible, So what they did was they sent out their fair maidens. When the Jews would come fight them, they sent out all the young girls and they dressed them up in a 
unsneeristic way, shall we say, not modestly, to distract the attention of the Jewish soldiers. And they figured if they would get the Jews either to even sin with their girls, or at least for the moment to let their mind think of such a thing, then the Jews would be able to be killed. So the Tata tells us when they go out to battle, and you bring home one such woman. Continues the Tata that what has to happen is you cannot marry her right away. Rather, she must sit and weep and cry for her parents, her family. You must shave her head, let her head and nails grow. You have to do everything. You have to take off the beautiful garment that she's wearing and to make her wear rags. Everything that you can to make her undesirable. And then, and only then, can you think of marrying her. Then continues the tale of a person who has two wives. One that he loves and one that he hates. And the one that he hates bears the firstborn. And the one that he loves has a firstborn. But the older one is the one of the one that he hates. Tells the Teda how the, the inheritance has to go to the one that he hates. Because he was born first. Tells us the Teda, therefore, that you're going to go, if you're going to marry this woman that you captured in battle, you're going to end up hating the wife. Continues the Teda. If there will be a child known as the wayward child, the Sarah or murder, who does not listen to his mother nor to his father. The Sarah Omer, unfortunately, you have to do a lot more than that. First of all, you have to be under 13 years old. He had to eat a tremendous amount of meat, tremendous, drink a tremendous amount of wine. He had to steal. He had to steal. He had to. He was a. It was a major compilation of many, many different types of lowly things that this boy had to do for him to be considered a Sayyidina But the Taylor tells us that this could happen. And the Sayyidina child was brought before the Bezdin. And the person, would have to denounce, and the mother would have to denounce this child as their child. And the child would be taken out and killed. There's probably nothing more painful to a person in life, in the world, than Chas Shalom Rahman al-Islam, losing a child. So, and she never ever come up to anyone. So therefore, when a person now not only is going to lose their child, but first loses their child spiritually, where the child is not following in the ways of the family. And then Rahman al-Islam has to kill the child, have the child killed, put to death. It's extremely, extremely painful. Shows us the Teda that we go, marrying this woman that you took in, you'll ultimately come into a case of hating your wife, and ultimately, Rahman al-Islam, Experiencing the Seder Mir. On the flip side, says the Teda, in the very our very same parsha. Good news is coming. If a person will marry his wife properly, tells us the Teda another din. If the person will plant vineyards, another din. If a person builds a home, how they need to put a mic on their roof. a gate around their roof. When a person takes a wife, says the Teda, ki yikach ish isha. In Keser Shem Tov, the Sefer that is attributed to the Baal Shem HaKadosh, to the Holy Baal Shem Tov, 
there are two Svarim that are really attributed to him and many others that are that is the Keser Shem Tov and Tzavos Vivash but he, the Keser Shem Tov, the Baal Shem Tov writes Hashem marries the nation, the Jewish nation Hashem is the husband, the Almighty is the husband and the Jews are considered the wives And therefore, when the Torah says, Ha'isha niknis lebailo, the woman is acquired by her husband, and therefore is considered ishtoi, his wife, what actually transpires? The only change Physically, is the woman wears a ring that the man gives her. The ksuba she doesn't walk around with like a flag. So nobody necessarily knows she has a ksuba, doesn't have a ksuba. If she has a nice, generous husband, then she's wearing a lot of jewelry. The covering of the hair. But in essence... Spiritually, there are two things that are done. Through Kedushin, two things transpire. Firstly, the woman is now acquired by the man. And secondly, she is now prohibited to anyone else. I can never imagine, when I learned this as a child... The concept of a woman being acquired by the husband and prohibited to any other man, that that was something that you really had to elaborate on. I could never imagine that the world could come to such decadence and immorality and loneliness that Rahman al-Islam people draw they don't have a boundary even there they don't keep a limit even to an Asia's ish to a married woman and it can go off people's tongues it rolls off people's tongues today without any kind of embarrassment the concept of wife swapping. A married woman is also, is totally prohibited to any other man barring her husband. There is no one that she's allowed to be with except for her husband. Under no circumstances. There are situations sometimes Where in today's modern science, they plant a woman, either one, a woman volunteers to carry an embryo, somebody else, or the woman, in order to become pregnant, needs from a different man's power. And it's commonplace practice today. It doesn't look like, it doesn't seem like in any which way or form something immoral. Unfortunately, I don't know how any given rabbi could ever find a heter for this. A child born from such an action would be considered a mamza. Because a woman is only allowed to be with her own husband. The same is also the maternal connection, not maternal, excuse me, the connection through marriage 
matrimonial connection between the Almighty and Knesset Israel, the Jewish nation. This condition also has these two effects. The attachment the Jews now have to the Almighty God. And of course how we must separate ourselves and not do anything in this world that is not according to the word of the law of the Almighty. And just like when it comes to the marriage of a husband and a wife, it's impossible that she should be acquired by her husband and not become usher to anybody else. The same is also when we are married to the Almighty. It's impossible to do it properly, to connect properly to the Almighty without separation from the wants of the world. There's a sefer called Chavis Halavavis. It's not a chsidish sefer, it's a sefer Musa. And he writes, now I believe we've quoted this already before, two, three weeks ago as well. A person cannot possibly have in their hearts the proper love and connection to God while loving and connecting to the world. Tells us the Tera that if a person is going to marry properly and do things properly, they will purchase a home. And as they will purchase a home, they will need to put, if it's a flat roof that is used commonly, they need to put a mica, a gate around their roof. There are today flat roofs, like the one here, but very rarely does someone go up. It's no nobody's invited up there these days. <laughs> Tells us the Tata that one must build a Mike. What exactly is this gate? But Rashi elaborates on this pasuk, Yisivne Bayis Chodosh, and says, Bayis L'Rabbeis Hechel. The word Bayis comes to also include a yard. We need to understand this. The Rambam writes that the obligation of a maike is only on a house that we live in. Only on a house people live in A house that's not used for the dwelling is not something that would be obligated. Who lives in the courtyard? Why would a courtyard therefore be Mikhaev Maika? Mishaev. We perhaps can answer this by determining what is considered a Dira's Declaration on in here, that's story why. What is considered, what determines and makes something into a dira, a dwelling place? According to most opinions, a place where people sit and eat in there is considered a dira. Like we saw, we see by sukkah. The sukkah teishvu ke'ain tedurai. One must sit there as if it's a steady, a standard place of living. Because the main mitzvah of sukkah is to sit and eat in the sukkah. For those keeping score at home, the Gemara tells us in Masech Tzvachim, Samach Gimel Amar Aleph, 63 side 1, Minayin, how do we know? Shemekifu akim is kalazara shakernim nechdasim nesham. 
How do we know if they surrounded the Goyim, the non-Jews surrounded the entire courtyard, the Kayanim go in there, and they eat there the Kedish Kedashim in the courtyard. And quotes the Pasuk of the Kedish Kedashim Techlenum. So we find there are times that the, there are, we find that there are times that the midst of eating Kachim is also in the Hechel. In the courtyard. And on that basis, since we're eating there, the karabanis, therefore it becomes a base dira, a place where a person is considered dwelling. And since the place that a person dwells in, since the person does eat sometimes in that courtyard, therefore they would need to have a mica, a gate. The mica is also a gate, it's a boundary, it keeps us in control, keeps us in check. Let us see in our own service in life, for those of us who don't have houses yet, where does the mitzvah of Micah come into play? The Holy Shalom HaKadosh. Allow me to give you a little introduction of the Shalom HaKadosh. It's possible I've spoken about this before. The Shalom HaKadosh was a very holy man and had zero tolerance for impurity. So much so that the Shalom HaKadosh once saw a turkey attack either another bird or a chicken or whatever it was. A child and mold a or child. Ch- excuse me. Attack the child and mold it. The Shalom was so perturbed to see the wildness of this bird, of this turkey, he put on a prohibition prohibiting any of his descendants to eat turkey. So that might have to do sometimes a lineage search in your lifetime to find out if you're a descendant from the Shalom whether or not you're allowed to eat turkey. Depends on what you like. There's a famous story in Israel. Israel, a lot of things are made out of turkey. Turkey is one of the more popular things they used. And there was a family, a Chabad family, that the children were always very sickly. They were always getting sick. They were always going to the doctor. And they wrote to the Rebbe. The father, the mother wrote to the Rebbe for a bracha. The children should stop getting sick. And the Rebbe answered, they should be careful with their kashras. They should be careful with their standard of kosher at home. They were shocked. They keep everything that they have to. They're very, very meticulous in their kashas. Why would the Rebbe imply that they were doing something wrong? So they started to investigate. They found out that they were descendants from the Shalah Kodesh. And that the Shalah prohibits the eating of turkey. They understood that the Rebbe was implying that for them, the level of kasha, standard of kashas, entailed not eating turkey. So they stopped to eat turkey, and they were blessed with health, and Baruch Hashem, longevity. So this is the Shalom. So the Shalom now explains as well, the Shalom says, I found written a hint. The concept of Gagecha, of a, a roof, or roof, like some people would say, is the highest point of your house. And therefore, when we talk about highness, holiness, when we say to make a mica around this, a gate around your height of your greatness, the hint is to tell us 
around our haughtiness. A person needs to put a boundary, a gate. And if not, then God forbid me shom If not, then one can fall from there. Because the pastor continues, ki yipel hanefel mimenu lifnei shever goin. Excuse me. Get, get uh, the minion together. Get Ezra, Moshe. We have six people here. But a person can think that only in words worldly words and things that I may do that a person needs to make a micah to watch out over their midas hagaiver over their haughtiness when it comes to the service of Hashem the Pasuk actually tells us a person must raise up their heart in the ways of God and the Chazal tell us, the Yomara tells us, for those keeping score at home, in the tractate Seita, number 5, side A. Talmud Chochem Tzorich, Shiebay Shminis Shibishminis. A Talmud Chochem needs to have an eighth of an eighth of Gaiva. What's an eighth of an eighth? Yeah. It's the humility, the humbleness that a person has to have is of their lifestyle, of all the things they do and that they live throughout their lives. One eighth of an eighth of their lifestyle, their actions needs to be, needs to have some kind of holiness in it. We've spoken about it in Pashat Vayishlach, because mm-hmm. Pashat Vayishlach Yaakov. is the eighth Pasha of the Torah, and the eighth Pasuk in Vayishlach starts the word Katointi. That I know, katonti, katonti. I became small and humbled. So therefore, refers to the eighth of the eighth. So we find when it comes to Gidusha, a person does have to have some kind of haughtiness and proudness. And by being proud, then, is a blessing. It's a good thing. And this is therefore what the sages say. Bias la rabbis hecho. Where is this going? The word bias comes to include a hekel. <laughs> Even the roof of the hekel and the Kedesh HaKadosh in the holiest of times, holiest of place and the holiest of actions needs to have a gaika, something that's watching over it. Sir! And the person... When he's serving God, needs to be humbled to an extent where he is not affected by what he's doing and saying, oh, you see how great I am that I've done this thing. <coughs> so here we see mitzvah, Gerdes, mitzvah, a mitzvah rolls into another of the man takes the wife and becomes betrothed to God. He is able to have the house and the highest part of the house, the roof, of which he will have a maika, which is a mitzvah of its own. He will have a kerem, a vineyard, etc. Another commandment in this parsha: lay silver sharpness. A person cannot wear wool and linen together. Gedilim Tasaloch. And Rashi ex- explains again what are the Gedilim, the growths? Actually, it's from the Gemara Yevomis, page 4. Gedilim Tasaloch af minaklayim, even from Klayim, crossing certain fruits. There are three ways to make climb, to make mix 
cross-mix. The first is begodim, in garments, wool and linen together, sewing them in one garment. The second is with animals, where two different animals plow the field together. And also, grafting. And thirdly, is the cooking of meat and milk together, which their tastes mix. We find the difference between them if they were mixed with permission for a mitzvah, or if, God forbid, they were mixed without a mitzvah. In the garment, we see that if one can mix wool and linen in a certain case, there is a scenario where wool and linen can be mixed, and that being by tzitzis. The man wearing tzitzis is a time where you can mix the wool and the linen, and similarly also the koyen also had a mix of wool and linen. On the other hand, when it comes to the behemoth of the karka, we find no case or scenario of any kind of high level of spirituality that one would be allowed to mix them. And the same when it comes to mixing milk, milk and meat. There is a thought in the Mechilta, in the end of Pash Mishpatim, that it perhaps should be allowed by Mugdoshin. But we study and we learn from the Psukim that even by Mugdoshin, by holy, thing, holy items, it's also prohibited to, milk, to mix meat, milk and meat together. However, the Ramban, a commentary on the Teda, expounds the reason, he says, the reason of the prohibition of the mixing of the behemoth and the ground, the mixing of the plants, so when we mix these two types of animals or two types of seeds you are totally destroying and you are deviating you are changing creation. The order of which the Almighty created the world you are going against total, against the total union of creation. By taking two different animals to plow you are torturing them because they don't work together they don't coordinate they don't sink together. And so too with seeds of different species are also at the same level. According to this we understand now the difference between the three forms. When it comes to the mixing of the animals or of the seeds, since something, a new creation comes out it's prohibited even in Inyanic Kedusha on the other hand when it comes to mixing of garments of the wool and the linen, we find when it comes to spiritual things, holy things, it is allowed. Because they were not created on separate entities. Wool and linen were not created separate and differently. They're two different threads, but they were not made to, not, to contradict one another. 
And they're not, by mixing the wool and the linen, you're not making a new creation. You now have a garment with wool and linen together. But you don't have a new creation. It's not called a wool linen. Yeah, take that one down. Because you can take it out. And there are times where a person buys a garment, and when we buy a garment of wool, we have to take it to be checked for shotness. And the shotness, the people that studied on how to check this, also studied how to remove it. There are times, for example, a woolen suit, someone once found a woolen suit, the buttons were sewn on with linen thread. Why would someone do that is beyond me. But it was, so they had to take out the thread, and they sewed back on the buttons with a different thread, and the suit was fine, it became kosher. Bishaite, the suit was totally prohibited to put on for even a second. And every second that someone wears something that's shotness, they get another sin. Someone under the opinion is, when halachas get mixed and matched, this doesn't work. Same way, we can't mix halachas either. There are those that tell us, there are those that say a keli, a vessel, needs to be, not those that say, we all say, that most vessels need to be immersed in the mikveh before we use them. Not plastic, not this, whatever. Before you, if you have a question about that, you can call me or text me. Or email. Um, however, there are those that give a a nuke in the a nuke is a nick in the cry in the armor, and say a first time vessel, you might be able to use without tailing. A first time you're using, you just purchase the vessel, you're allowed to use it one time. It doesn't have too much validity to it, really, but in a worst case scenario, there are those that permit it. And therefore, they want to say that until you check the shotness for the first time you're wearing it for one wedding or one bar mitzvah or one party, you should be allowed to wear it until the shotness is taken out. Totally, totally prohibitive. A shotness may not be worn for one second. And every second that one wears it, they are over another sin. Still has to be checked. So when shotness comes about, it can be removed and fixed. Excuse me, in most cases. Unless they took the whole garment and mixed it with wool and linen. <coughs> when it comes to basavachalav, meat and milk, similarly to the f- seeds or the animals working together, you are creating a novel taste. And therefore it's compared in comparison to the new seed, the new plant that you've created. Since you've mixed milk and meat, which are total different entities, it now is impossible to separate them. You can't now take this, mi- this mixture, this concoction and now separate the milk and the meat out of it. Won't work. Even if you take uh, what they call, I guess, the cheeseburger, so you have the burger with the meat, and you have cheese on top of it, you still, even if you take off the cheese from the meat, you're still going to have them mixed one with the other, because the hot cheese, the hot, the hot meat, melted the cheese, and the cheese is in the, within the meat, and the meat is within the cheese. And the same thing, any type of milk and meat mixed together. So therefore, this cannot be separated. And that's why we find that only by a case where something new, a new entity is created, is it not allowed, because it's all in denial of the essence of creation of God. And that's why only this, the shatness, by the case of Tzitzis, or the case of the Kayin, can be put together. And ultimately, as we know that this week's Pasha also is the Shluach HaKan, the sending away of the mother bird. And the concept is, of course, the Manitavloch, the Manarach, the Yomim. It should be good for you, and we should have longevity. And so, too, we wish to everyone 
that life should be good to us, and we should all be blessed with happiness and health and long life, with children, fully, full-heartedness, with a full life, with a full blessings, that we shouldn't doubt that the blessings are coming through, or that the blessings are in fruition, and we should see the ultimate blessing, the Geula, Amit Shabbat Shalom to all.